I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the Beast Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Today, we're going to be discussing a new book on healthcare. Patient Priority is what the book's called, Solving Healthcare's Value Crisis by Measuring and Delivering Outcomes by Stefan Larson, Jennifer Clawson, and Josh Keller. And I'm delighted today to welcome Stefan and Jen to our podcast. Stefan is a, a medical doctor and a pioneer in the field of value-based healthcare. He's an advisor to healthcare organizations. He's formerly a 25-year partner of the Boston Consulting Group, where he started the company's payers and providers sector, as well as the healthcare system sector. He's the founder of an organization we're probably going to be hearing a bit more about called the International Consortium for Health Outcomes Measurement, and has been working on the topic of the reform of healthcare for essentially his entire career. Jen is his partner in crime. They've been working on this same topic together for many years, and she runs the firm's Center for Value in Healthcare and is a co-author on this very ambitious new book. So welcome to the podcast and congratulations on the book, Stefan and Jen. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. So this is an enormous topic, Stefan. Why, why now? Was this just the culmination of your efforts, or do you think we're at some special turning point in the reform of healthcare? I think, Martin, it's two things. One is we've worked on this topic for quite a long time and saw a need to synthesize almost a decade of experience with various organizations. And then secondly, we just come through or are about to come through the COVID-19 pandemic, which has shown how critical healthcare is for all in society and for societal integrity and stability. And it's shown also how poorly prepared many societies have been that their healthcare systems are not organized well enough to manage you know, the challenges that COVID posed. But the challenges were here before COVID. So COVID has simply made it more urgent. And that's why we wrote the book. And uh, as I read it, the main challenge you're trying to solve for is spiraling costs, poor access. Are there other big aspects of the, the problem as you'd frame it? Well, we see three crises in healthcare. One is the one you alluded to. We're wasting 20 to 40% of what we spend. Healthcare costs growing twice the rate of GDP growth. But in addition, if you look at the science of medicine, medicine you know, makes a strong point of it being science-founded, we're not generating nearly enough evidence to have scientific support to the decision-making process. The complexity of medicine is growing much faster than the investments in generating evidence for decision-making. And finally, the third crisis we talk about is a crisis of purpose. You know, in a profession where most people envy the purpose you have if you work as a doctor or a nurse or physiotherapy, and yet the people working in, the, in these professions today are stressed, many are burnt out, and many actually leave the profession because they feel the way it's organized and managed is not aligned with how they see their profession. So let's get into some of that. I guess, as I read it, your, your book is proposing a global answer to the challenges you just raised. And of course, healthcare is very particular to the politics, the economics, the medical culture and history in particular countries. Is it legitimate to, to aim to have a global answer? Or perhaps you'd, you'd disagree that that's what you're proposing. How global, how singular is, is the challenge? You can say that patients typically will seek support locally. They'll go to the local doctor, they'll go to the hospital they're familiar with. So it is a local business in that sense. But if you think of what healthcare addresses, which is diseases, 
Asthma is the same disease in you know, New York, in Stockholm, and in South Africa. And the diagnosis, the treatments are the same. So the variations in healthcare systems is, in fact, an asset from which we can learn. Because if South Africa have better results for their asthma patients, we in Stockholm and New York can learn from what they do. And therefore, we believe that the focus on outcomes, the results for patients, allows us to learn globally. You know, whether it's regarding healthcare organization or how we treat patients with a particular disease. Now, of course, you're not the first people to, to try to propose solutions to these three crises in healthcare that you mentioned. Many big companies have announced reform plans for the sector. You know, Apple, Google, Amazon have all taken a crack and many governments have taken a crack and many famous academics like Michael Porter have written, you know, voluminous texts about what's wrong with healthcare. Yet, we haven't made that much progress over the years in terms of fundamentally restructuring healthcare. What, what has been missing? What has been the, the crux of the challenge? And what are you emphasizing in your book in terms of that missing ingredient? The challenge in healthcare that has been the most in focus has been the cost explosion. So healthcare has been perceived to have you know, a cost issue. And I think it's very fair to say that it does. Now, other aspects of society, manufacturing industry, et cetera, has been very successful in driving inefficiencies out of what they do. And the tools that have been used are often process improvements, lean technology, et cetera. However, healthcare is not a manufacturing industry in the traditional sense of the word. The individual patient is different. We need to adjust to them. And we need to understand that we need to listen to them in order for the results to be what we're seeking to achieve. So I think the approach has too much been based on other industries, where there are tools that have been successful, rather than to look at healthcare as a distinct industry and then define tools for healthcare. And what we argue in the book is we need to measure the results for patients. And with that as a foundation, learn from the individuals and groups of patients what really works. And this approach, we think, is unique for healthcare in one sense, and one that has been missing in much of the reform work that has happened to date. So you use the word value a lot, and that can mean different things to different people. But value management seems to be a sort of at the core of your argument. Tell us what you mean by value and, and how we can measure and manage it better. I agree with you. Well, you know, we talk about value in all kinds of settings. And it's been an issue, in fact, in this field is that people use it for their own purpose. We follow very closely to the definition that was published by Michael Porter and Elizabeth Weisberg 16 years ago now, which is value in healthcare needs to include both the outcomes that matter to that patient group and the resources needed to deliver those outcomes. So value is not the ratio in the mathematical sense, but you look at the numerator is the outcomes that matter to patients and you compare it to the resources needed. Now, that analysis needs to be done differently for different patient groups. It's not meaningful to compare the outcomes for a young man with schizophrenia from an old man with congestive heart failure. So we need to have outcome measures that are disease-specific, or you could say population-segment-specific, in order for the analysis to be meaningful. So I understand that idea, Stefan, and Jen, if I could pull you in here. I imagine it's rather challenging to apply that in practice, though, in the sense that every presentation of a particular disease is going to be different. Every patient is going to be different. So how can we, how can we have metrics for value, as Stefan defined it, which take into account the, 
the particular, because the particular is very important, right? The severity or the associated conditions or the history. Indeed. Thanks, Martin. It's a great question. I think if we start to peel the onion back a little bit on the outcomes that matter most to patients, what we first have are a set of core metrics that measure things like people's ability to live their daily lives effectively, recovery after a diagnosis or a particular procedure, their ability to contribute to society, etc. So there are a certain number of metrics which are common regardless of who you are, regardless of the type of medical situation you have in front of you. And then I think it becomes much more tailored, as Stefan was just saying, by the type of diagnosis or by the type of risk factors that you as an individual have. And that's where the science comes in. And there have been many people who are dedicated to the development of outcome measures over time. And there's a rigorous science between developing them, validating them, and then putting them to practice. And so what we're advocating is using these small set of standardized metrics very consistently across healthcare systems, because there is value in using the standard ones so that we can start to really spur innovation. Healthcare is one of these professions where experts legitimately have a a major role. They say, you know, I'm the expert and I, based on 30 years of experience, I can can tell you how that disease works or whatever. How do you confront and, and marshal and manage expertise towards common metrics? I imagine that's a rather difficult thing to do. How does that work in practice? If you're starting from no metrics or contradictory metrics, how do you get to a series of agreed metrics that you can standardize across a profession or a disease? From my perspective, Martin, you know, we do measure a heck of a lot of things in healthcare. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But what we measure a lot of are the things that are more tangible, easier to hand, the process measures. And they don't necessarily give us the best insight into what's most helpful for the patient, et cetera. And when we do actually start to measure those outcomes other than the processes, that's when you really get the spark in the eyes of the clinical team, the doctors, the nurses, and the others who are caring for the patient, because usually they have not had access to those data previously. And so by looking at those, it automatically sets their mind racing. How can I, as a team, get better in providing even better outcomes for my patients? How do I compare, et cetera? And so I think it's a real shift in the mindset from measuring what we have always been measuring, many process measures in healthcare, to providing, going back to the purpose crisis that Stefan mentioned before, something that's more meaningful and something that more clinicians can act upon, which are the outcomes that matter most to the patients. You give some examples in the book, and you've spoken publicly about examples like some Swedish hospitals and, and Kaiser in the US that do better than others in implementing these sorts of value-based outcomes-based systems. What do such organizations do differently? What's the state of the art and what are those state-of-the-art organizations that use these metrics do fundamentally differently? I think, you know, some of this work started in Sweden where clinicians got together to establish what they call disease registries. They agreed on what the metrics should be and they convinced all their colleagues in the country to measure. The ones who have succeeded the best to improve and overall it's led to enormous improvement in outcomes across the country. But the institutions who have succeeded the most have had leadership that have said that it's not only the volume of production that I care about or whether we comply to the budget. I want to know how we do when it comes to patient outcomes. And so management has said this is important. And the teams have been given adequate resources to invest some time in doing this work. So to gather the data, to review it, and then learn from it. So it becomes, you could say, from the top down, an encouragement of continuous learning. 
and gathering the data needed to learn from your experience. And so it becomes a culture which is much less just production-oriented, but actually focused more on the patient and on innovativeness when it comes to patient care. If I try to decode the recipe you talk about for getting this done in a healthcare system, and it, it seems to me to be something like, you know, segment diseases or situations, agree standard metrics of outcomes, measure those things, get a critical mass of people in a system interested in doing that, and then allocate resources according to the, the results that are generated. Is, is it something like that basically the core recipe for getting this done, or did I, did I miss some, some key elements? I think what is key, Martin, and, and the book makes this point also, is that that is the starting point. But if you have incentives, such as a fee-for-service payment model, where the institution makes more money on doing as many things as possible, whether they, the results are good or not, and it doesn't matter whether you have good outcomes, then you have a barrier you know, to do this work. If there are laws that prohibit you from using this kind of patient data for continuous learning, well, again, it will be difficult to do it. So there are aspects of data access, incentives, and the legal framework, which needs to be aligned with this intent in order for this to happen. You can have single registries and single groups of doctors and nurses who drive this within their local framework. But in order for it to be ubiquitous for the system, one needs to go beyond that and look at the system at large and its design. Right. So you're saying that there are other things that you need to do in order to enable this core recipe to work. And it seems to me that this could be a general recipe for re-engineering any, any complex system with multiple stakeholders, misaligned incentives, different historical practices, essentially, you know, decide what you're going to measure, measure it, get a critical mass of people, publicize the outcomes, and then align the, the incentives and the legal structures and so on. Um, could something like this in principle apply to something like social security or other sort of complex systems in, in business or government? The logic for the system change that we're proposing builds or is, is highly aligned with what people talk about as the elements needed for complex adaptive systems to go in a particular direction. And what's needed is a shared goal. You know, what do we try to achieve and align all stakeholders around those goals? In our case, that's patient value. The second one is to have resources and incentives that, you know, align with those goals that providers are incentivized to deliver better value rather than just volumes. For instance, payment models. You need to have access to data, that's the third, so that you can learn from your experience, you can share your experience, you can benchmark, et cetera. And the fourth one is rules and regulation, that the, the, the legal framework is in place. But with those four, you can then allow for a lot of degrees of freedom for innovation to happen, but the direction of innovation will be a more productive healthcare system, which focuses more on patients. So that sounds like a, a difficult human change management problem, amongst other things, because presumably there are winners and losers in that process. You know, I can imagine that if you, if you do all of this, some famous doctors and some famous hospitals may become more successful, others may become less successful. How do you cope with the sort of the human change or the change management dimension of this if you're implementing it in a, in a healthcare system? So I think when it works well, Martin, you're exactly right. This is not necessarily rocket science, but it is very much a change in behaviors and a change in the context of which healthcare is operating today. And so where it's working well, there's a leadership element to it that is critical. So leadership from the top in terms of this is what we're going to measure. We stand for quality outcomes 
that are most important to patients. There's also an element of trust. You know, these are the soft elements, but it's really critical that the clinical teams and the patients and their caregivers have trust in the use of their data, the collection of the data, and the transparency of that data, which will help drive the improvements overall. So I think those are the two of the softer elements that bear to play in when it works well in terms of the healthcare transformation, moving much more towards value-based healthcare. I think it's also to add to that, Martin, I think healthcare has been exposed to changes and reforms of various sorts, new payment models, new this, that, and the other, KPIs left, right, and center. A lot of people are tired of interference in what they do. And I think it is important that the positioning of this change is one where it's really truly patient-centric. So you can tie it much closer to the inner purpose of people working in the sector. And that's why it's when it's been tried, it's actually been very remarkably successful because it's not a traditional management buzzword. It is something fundamental to the sector. So I imagine some of our listeners are thinking, well, this is a much more specialized and healthcare-specific topic than perhaps I imagined when I clicked on the podcast. But I know that you believe that this is something that all companies should be thinking about. Tell us why you think this is every company's problem, not just a handful of specialized providers or payers. I think it is generally, of course, a focus on your customers and your customer need. Everybody in business and other institutions in healthcare knows how important that is. But if you look at areas such as education, in education, we can look at the density of teachers. We can look at you know, the qualifications of the teachers we have, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the important thing is, what are the, the students learning? Are they acquiring the capabilities, the knowledge that's needed for them you know, with a the profession they're going into or you know, secondary education they go into? And unless we measure that, we can build a lot of approaches to education that are not going to necessarily help us achieve what we're targeting. And so I can see that in many other industries across sectors, not only in healthcare. Maybe just to add on that, Martin, we're all patients at the end of the day. Either we have our parents who are patients today, we will be patients ourselves and or the next generation will be patients. So I think this is a critical personal issue. But also in terms of a corporate issue, especially in the U.S., large corporations today pay such a huge percentage of their employee benefits in healthcare. And to think that, in fact, a large portion of that may be actually wasted on low-value care when the WHO and OECD say 20 to 40% of what we spend on healthcare is wasted, that's an alarming statistic. And I think that it behooves all of us as leaders in corporate America and beyond, and this is not just an American situation, but more acutely so in, in the US, to think about what is the real spend and are we getting the best value for both our employees as well as for our, ourselves and our families. Yeah, I think your point, Stefan, about this is a template for other types of problem sectors, I, that, that strongly resonates with me. I find that change management often defaults to project management. In other words, top-down specification of the actions to be taken. And I think what you're talking about here is quite different. In a sense, you're talking about the, the necessary learning infrastructure, in my words, to unleash a market-based learning mechanism. You're not specifying top-down actions. And that could be incredibly powerful for we know that 75% of corporate initiatives fail, and most of them employ a project management approach. There could be a more general lesson here. That's an idle speculation. Do you think there's any truth in that? No, I think that's exactly right, Martin. There are many industries which have you know, similar complexity to healthcare, 
where it's very hard to predict whether the action in one direction is necessarily going to give the intended result. The autonomy and accountability and responsibility of individuals to innovate and find solutions, I think, is in some cases the only way in which you will really get your way through something which is, is quite uh, complex. And then the clarity of the end goal and providing the tools needed to innovate and to drive innovation in the right direction is key. And I think in healthcare, we are trying to micromanage complexity and we're not succeeding. In fact, it doesn't really change the needle at all. We need to step back and provide more autonomy and tools to allow for new ways of delivering care to patients. Well, unfortunately, we, uh, we won't be able to solve all of healthcare's problem in 25 minutes, although you get a, a great deal done in your book. So maybe I can just end with, with a couple of personal questions. So question two to each of you. Supposing that you had a miraculous windfall, you had a, a 1% of GDP for the global economy or for any country of your choosing to invest in reforming healthcare, to make healthcare better. Where would you put that 1%, Stefan? I would place it in a, a national foundation that would secure the national standardization of outcomes. I would secure that the investments were done in IT technology so that it would be easy for those measurements to, to be done, to capture the data and to share the data. And I would ensure also that the same body created standards nationally for payment models, incentives that would motivate clinical teams, pharma companies and medtech companies to collaborate and move in this direction. So I think it's important to create some of those national standards to have somebody convene at the center. It shouldn't be only a public body. I think it should be a public-private partnership. But we need something like a, in the book, we talk about the moonshot. We need to make a significant investment to enable the transformation that's needed. Incremental is not helping us. We've tried that for a long time. We need to go beyond that. And that's where I would make that investment. So you answer that very comprehensively, Stefan. So let me, let me maybe ask a different question to Jen then. So supposing that everybody reads your book, everybody follows your advice in the book, powerful people reallocate your budgets based upon what you say in your book, and actually we solve the problem. We do everything you say. And so you're writing a second book in 20 years' time, which is a book about how we successfully transform the healthcare system. What would be the structure of that book, Jen? It's a great question, Martin. I think ideally in 20 years time, if we had solved the problems that we know are outlined in the crises today, what we would be looking at would be a, as you mentioned at the beginning, a global approach to this, because as Stefan alluded to, diseases are the same, medical conditions are the same around the world, but with local flavors. And that local flavor is really the opportunity and the space for innovation. And now, so what I would hope for is a global overarching framework about value outcome measurement, and the enablers, but then going deep across low and middle income countries, as well as high income countries, across chronic diseases, across acute diseases, and looking at the innovation that has been spurred as a result of standardized outcome measurement. Very good. Well, congratulations both on this magnum opus of the book, and I, I wish you all the best with it. Today, we've been discussing with Stefan Larson and Jennifer Clawson, their new book with Josh Keller called Patient Priority, solve healthcare's value crisis by measuring delivering outcomes, which is just out actually from McGraw Hill. I, I really enjoyed the book at, at three levels, I think. I enjoyed it as a, as a patient. You know, I deserve better, and this book tells me how to get to better. 
I think I enjoyed it with a sort of CFO hat on saying, my God, we spend a lot of money on healthcare. How do we get better value for money? And I think with my, I'm not a CEO, so I don't have a CEO hat. But if I, if I had one, I'd, I'd probably be thinking, well, this is an interesting way of changing complicated systems. Maybe we can translate this recipe to, to other corporate projects or to other areas of the economy, creating a marketplace for learning or something like that. So I strongly recommend the, the book. If you like the conversation, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Think as an ideas on your favorite podcasting platform. And as always, we welcome feedback. So write to us and tell us what you'd like to hear more about at the Thinkers and Ideas podcast.